Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanyap. That's Creole for something extra. Scottish author Jane Welsh Carlyle said, Time is the only comforter for the loss of a mother. In her brave and innovative new novel, What We Lose, author Zenzi Clemens explores her character's grief through intimate vignettes based on her own experience of grieving her mother. Reviews hail the novel as stunning, inventive, and poignant, and call her a promising new voice. What We Lose is our October selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. And author Zinzi Clemens joins us now from the studios of NPR West in Culver City, California. Zinzi, welcome to Under the Radar. Hi, thank you. Glad to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this book. As we've said, it's gotten a lot of attention because it seems very simple in the core premise of the main characters dealing with the loss of her mother. But you Mm -hmm. weave in the themes of grief, race, and identity all through it. And before we get to how that all comes together, I wanted you to talk about where you got the title of the book. I'm really not great at titles, (laughs) so this one was definitely a collaborative effort. So if you have read the book, you'll notice that the title appears in a section as the title of a pamphlet that Tandi reads when she's trying to deal with grief after her mom passes away. And the title of the pamphlet is What We Lose, a support guide. So it's sort of like a self-help book that she reads and thinks about. I wanted you to explain that because as you go through the book, we understand that What We Lose is actually so much broader than um, Mm. just the loss of the physical person. I have to say, I think it would be very tough for me to delve into uh, writing about the loss of my mother. And again, as we said, you base this on your own experience. How did you get there? Yeah. So, you know, it's actually a good question to ask after the title because you're right. The title does have a lot of significance. It's about everything that we lose, which is not just the person itself uh, when you lose someone. But the other really important aspect of that title is that It is a self-help guide, and that's sort of a clue into my process because I actually started writing this book as, like, journal entries when I was going through um, the same thing when my mother was very sick. And so writing about it was a way for me to help understand it and process it myself. So I was reading a lot of material on grief, on dying, and illness and all of these things, um, because I'm the type of person who feels much better um, and feels comforted when I really understand something through and through. So, you know, it was something that I was trying to do for myself in order to help cope. And so it actually ended up being very helpful for me. So talk about Tandi, the main character who channels many of your own experiences. Yeah. So Tandi, you know, she is based on me. You know, she is a sort of a, a riff on, on who I am. I think I like to think of her as sort of a, a younger version of me. And 
She's a very thoughtful person, but she's quiet and she sort of thinks and ingests information. And the result of that is sort of this book. She is um, everything from like the blog posts and the quotes and the charts and everything. These are all her ways of processing what's going on around her. She's very interested in learning. She's a very curious person. Um, but she's also very fallible, and that leads to, you know, some of the book's major sort of plot points is the mistakes that she makes after her mother dying. And it was really important for me to show her with all of her flaws. Now, what I thought was interesting is that very often I've read in some of the reviews that it describe your book, What We Lose, and I'm talking with author Zinzi Clemens, as a coming-of-age novel. And you, you mm. don't usually hear that terminology applied to a character as old as yours is. I mean, you know, you, it's an adolescent. No, I'm, I'm serious. It's mo- yeah, you're mostly sure. used in an adolescent kind of growing up situation. So I wondered what is meant by that and what how you would respond to her coming of age in the way that many people saw it as they read the book. Yeah, well, first of all, I think adulthood is coming later nowadays. It's something I've noticed in nearly all of my friends. I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm about... You know, I'm in my 30s, and for us, for better or worse, you know, we are really coming of age in our late 20s, early 30s. It seems that that process has just sort of gotten slowed down to that point. But also, I think that a lot of that is referring to the process that happens after a parent dies, which is that you sort of have to define yourself in many ways that you wouldn't if your parent was still around. And so I found, again, from observing people who went through this, including my own mom when she lost her mom, she was around 40 when that happened, um, is that it's really a struggle to define yourself without someone who's been so influential to you. So I think that's really where those assessments come from. So you really grow up in a sense, no matter what, where you may be on the age spectrum. So it is coming of age in that way. Yes, Mm -hmm. I see that. Well, I'd love you to read from the prologue. This really, it's such a beautiful scene and heartbreaking. And anybody who's lost someone and certainly who's lost a parent, I think, can very much relate. My parents' bedroom is arranged exactly the same as it always was. The big mahogany dresser sits opposite the bed, the doily still in place on the vanity. My mother's little ring holders and perfume bottles still stand there. On top of all these old feminine relics, my father has set up his home office. His old IBM laptop sits atop the doily, a tangle of cords choking my mother's silver makeup tray. His books are scattered around the tables, his clothes draped carelessly over the antique wing chair that my mother found on a trip to Quebec. In the kitchen, my father switches on a small flat-screen TV that he's installed on the wall opposite the stove. My mother never allowed TV in the kitchen, to encourage bonding during family dinners and focus during homework time. As a matter of fact, we never had more than one television while I was growing up, an old wood-paneled set that lived in the cold basement, carefully hidden from me and visitors in the main living areas of the house. We order Chinese from the place around the corner, the same order that we've made for years, sesame chicken, vegetable fried rice, shrimp lo mein, As soon as they hear my father's voice on the line, they put in the order. He doesn't even have to ask for it. When he picks the order up, they ask after me. When my mother died, they started giving us extra sodas with our order. 
and he returns with two cans of pineapple soda, my favorite. My father tells me that he's been organizing at work, now that he's the only black faculty member in the upper ranks of the administration. I notice that he has started cutting his hair differently. It is shorter on the sides and disappearing in patches around the crown of his skull. He pulls himself up in his chair with noticeable effort. He had barely aged in the past 20 years, and suddenly, in the past year, he has inched closer to looking like his father, a stooped, lean, yellow-skinned man I've only seen in pictures. Have you been, Dad? I say as we sit at the table. The thought of losing my father looks constantly in my mind now, shadowy, inexpressible, but bursting to the surface when, like now, I perceive the limits of his body. Something catches in my throat and I clench my jaw. That's my guest, Zenzi Clemens. Her book is What We Lose. It's her debut novel. Now, one of the other connections that you have with the character, when you say is based on yourself, is her racial identity, which is, quote-unquote, mixed. Talk about uh, that, if you will, and how that comes into play as we go through Thandi's coming of age. Yeah, this is a really important part of Tandi's journey and sort of how she sees herself. She is a mixed-race person, but there's also sort of another layer added to that. Uh, her mother is South African and her father is American. And her mother in South Africa is mixed-race, but in South Africa, they have a, a sort of category, racial category for people who are mixed-race or other, and that's called colored. And the added layer of complication is that that category obviously does not exist in the United States. So in addition to in the U.S. feeling like she doesn't fit in because she doesn't have a racial category, in addition, she has this racial category that is sort of completely unrecognizable to anyone here and an attached culture that is pretty inscrutable to people in the United States. And as she sort of grows up, it's this feeling of dislocation that's caused by both her racial identity and this added layer of being foreign and, and being really unfamiliar to people in America that she sort of has to negotiate as she grows up. And it seems to me that Thundi is negotiating that as well and are trying to figure out how her mother negotiated it so that she can negotiate it. And mm. she always seems a little bit off kilter because her mom is, is such an anchor for her or she be, she realizes after her death anyway that what an anchor she was for her. Mm. Yeah, so the mother character has a really, really strong personality. You know, you get it in the first couple of pages. You know, I think the story that maybe paints the mother most accurately is the one where she tells the story very proudly of how she slapped her best friend in the face when she was distraught over getting dumped by her boyfriend. <laughs> and um, so she's just this very strong, opinionated woman. And Tandi, she's still coming into her own, but she's not the same. And I think for anyone who is, you know, as I sort of described Tandi as a little bit introverted, a little bit of an observer, um, it's very difficult to deal with such a strong personality like that. So I think that especially after the mother is gone, she's looking to clues from her mother's past about who she was to try and figure out who she is, which is, I think, something that's really familiar to people who have lost parents as you go back through old pictures and you re-listen to old stories about them because you're just desperate to learn about them. And Tandi does all of that, 
and she realizes that she could never really be her mother because she was this really you know other person um and then she kind of has to say well she was that who am i and where do i go from here yeah exactly I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. My guest is Zinzi Clemens, author of What We Lose. It's our October selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar book club. Much has been made of your Frank, your character's Frank, rather, experience with her sexuality and how it's juxtaposed against this great loss, used as a relief in some ways, a trying to, I think, a numbing in other ways. But it, it was odd to be, I have to say, some of the the response because, you know, why wouldn't a young woman? <laughs> I just don't get why this got so much attention. I'm, I just wanted you to respond to it because I was frankly puzzled. <laughs> uh, I'm with you. I, you know, I think okay. that's, uh, you know, in the beginning you said uh, this is the, the character's treatment of sex. But it is absolutely how I think about sex and talk about it. You know, honestly, that's one of the strange things about being an author and publishing a book is that you write this thing with all of these intentions and you send it out into the world. And, you know, the responses you get back are sometimes puzzling (laughs) (laughs) because you do a lot of things unintentionally, especially when they're very much a part of who you are. And I think the way that I write about sex in the book is the way that I talk about sex. It's I think the way a lot of people talk about sex now, people who are my age. And the only thing that I did was that I I didn't sort of hold back. I just made sure that I wasn't hiding anything from the reader. You are authentic. Yeah. I want to talk about your process because I am taken with the way that you told this story. There are scraps here, one line on a page. And you said that you spread out all your pages when you finished writing and then move them around like pieces of a puzzle. So it it sort of comes across as a a bit of a scrapbook or a bit of a diary or collage, maybe. Mm -hmm. Is it either or both or all? And why do that? So that's basically the way that I've always worked. I call it collage, the form that I work in, which is using different um, selections of material, both found material and original material and arranging them in a way that the order sort of influences how you read it. And so that process of curation or editing where you're moving the pieces around, that's always really appealed to me. And that's actually, I would classify that as part of my revision process, and it tends to be a very long part of the process for me. So when I was moving these pieces around, it took me about a year total just to do that. Um, Wow. Yeah, and I think the reason for that is... um, I also work as an editor. I've always something I've always done. I, I've been an editor for as long as I've been a writer, and so that approach kind of combines editing and writing in a way that I really like, and it's just how I've always written. Now, some people are looking at this as a, a real innovative take on you know how one tells a story, even though as you've just said, it's this is your process all along. But I was interested in what I read. You're speaking about how race, the fact that you are a black woman of mixed race, kind of squeezing innovators, as you've said, into a certain style. Like, you'd be okay and nobody would say anything about it if we just sort of opened a book and every page was the same. And it wasn't the effect that you intentionally took a year to create. Why did you feel that this was important for you to do this and that What We Lose really was a good example of kind of the avant-garde artist you want to be? 
I'm pretty sure you're referring to the essay that I wrote about mm-hmm. the black avant-garde. Yeah. Um, I had written this book. I had been completely consumed by it for the past few years. I didn't hold anything back. I told the story um, without very much regard to how it would be received or judged or if it would be published. And my attitude with it was always, I'm going to make a really good piece of art in my eyes, and if it gets accepted, great. But if not, I'll just have to deal with that because I'm not going to change it. (laughs) So I just did not really feel much pressure or sort of cave to what I saw as the expectations of the industry. And I know those expectations well because I've worked in the publishing industry. And basically what was the message of that essay is that Black writers specifically, but this applies to minorities of many different types, we tend to be judged on our race before anything else. So personally, you know, I've been compared a lot to Chimamanda Adichie a few times, mm. and it's easy to see why, because we both write about Africa, and we're both women, and we're black. But the similarities kind of stop there. Um, you know, there's this whole other dialogue that I'm having in, in terms of style and innovation. And what I said in that essay is that a lot of times we're not recognized as black artists for being innovative because we're seen primarily in terms of our race. And so it was important for me to to write that essay at that moment because I was thinking about my own work being accepted on those terms. And I kind of wanted to make a statement before it came out and saying, mm-hmm. like, this is the state of things. I hope it changes. I hope it changes for me, but I'm not so sure. But that's that's really where that came from. Well, it seems to have worked because I think one of the ways that people can respond to it, whether they recognize it as some innovative technique, I mean, just regular readers, is that it has a kind of stream of consciousness to it. So one moment you're really processing some of the anguish of your mother's death. The next moment you're thinking about studies of cancer rates and communities of color. And then the next moment we're discussing Winnie Mandela and whether or not she was complicit in some of the violence that she was a part of. So, you know, what your mind would be if you were resonating with all of this and trying to figure it all out. What are you hearing from people? Because this is at the core of all of this. It's such a universal experience. And I'm wondering how people, regular folks, what they say to you. Well, this has been the most rewarding part of all of this. You know, I think the book does feel very organic. And I think now that you've heard me describe my process and how I was just trying to tell the story in a way that felt natural to me. And I think part of the response has been confirmation that I did that. So what you're talking about with the stream of consciousness and it sort of mirrors the way that the brain thinks anyway, and especially how the brain sort of remembers trauma. And so the responses that I've gotten, and there have been a lot, and I really, really appreciate them, is from... They tend to be from people who have gone through the same thing, and they say something like, thank you for verbalizing something that I felt for a really long time. And it just sort of reminds me that one of the big goals of this project for me was to authentically represent that experience. I don't think I had much of an idea for why that was important or the impact that it might have when I was doing it. All I knew was that 
when I was going through it, I felt very alone. And like I said, it helped me to be able to write through things. And it was really important to me that I told that story in a way that felt real to me. What's the overarching takeaway you want people to have when they think about how loss informs your life, whether it's a primal loss as your mother in this book or or in general? I think the thing that is really most important is that we think about it. And that sounds maybe overly simplistic, but the way that people tend to deal with loss is avoidance. They don't tend to look at it and and sort of pull it apart and think about how it works. I think when you lose someone, you're sort of expected to, you know, cry for a year and then it's done. That's not how it works. And when you lose someone, the memories come back around and it can be your entire life. And when we don't understand how the process works, it can present some real difficulties. That's when people can lapse into things like addiction you know, they can become very troubled. And I think the first thing that I wanted to do was to sort of present this as an important human experience that people should look at and talk about. Because I think there are so many people who kind of suffer from emotional isolation. Um, And especially when you have to deal with a tragedy, you shouldn't be alone. You should be able to verbalize and talk about it and think about it. And I think that's really kind of the first thing that I wanted to do with the book. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Zinzi. Thanks for having me. Zinzi Clemens is the author of What We Lose, which is also her debut novel. It is our October selection for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. The book is available now in bookstores and online. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show, links to stories we discussed today, and bonus content on the web at news.wgbh.org UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. And subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Aswahi is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.